We truly have. And for those of you that may be visitors and don't know, that was three generations there of family. And a beautiful thing. We are blessed. Did you know that today is uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday? The uh, pro-life movement has been praying for the end of abortion for many, many years. Fifty years, really, since uh, Roe versus Wade was decided on back 50 years ago by the Supreme Court. Of course, we had a great victory this past year when they reversed that decision. Yeah, praise the Lord. But we still have a long way to go because the states, can, of course, can still have abortions. Our state can. And uh, so we want to pray uh, on, on this special Right to Human Life Sunday. If you would stand with me, please. Father, we have been blessed. We have been blessed to live in this great nation. A lot of problems, but yet a great nation. One of the greatest sins of our nation is this sin of abortion. Thank you for the great victory in the past year when the Supreme Court reversed the Roe versus Wade ruling. We give you praise for that, and we pray that in the months and years ahead that, that uh, states will, uh, uh, will take on that same attitude. And we pray for all the women who have been hurt emotionally and spiritually by the abortions that the government promoted. We pray your healing and recovery for each of them. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. We're in our study on the uh, unseen world. As you see, our text today is Luke 16. So turn there with me, Luke 16. And uh, we're going to start reading in just a moment in verse 22. But keep your Bibles open because we'll come back to cover a few more verses in this text as well. I want to give you a quick recap before we read our text. If you look at the screen, I'll remind you that in our study, we've studied God, part of the unseen world, of course, the creator of the unseen world, and angels, and uh, Satan, and demons. And then back a few weeks ago, we started on the abodes, the dwelling places of disembodied spirits and angels. And, uh, and they really fall into two different categories, uh, the good ones and the bad ones, I guess we could say. And uh, some of the abodes are heaven and paradise, or some names that's used for the abode. Some of these are synonyms, Abraham's bosom and the new Jerusalem. And then the ones that are negative and bad, we have hell. Now today we're going to look a little bit at heaven, but mostly about hell and Hades. And then we'll look at the abyss in the coming weeks and also Tartarus. And we'll look a little bit at the lake of fire today. Now with that said, let's look at our text. Luke 16 verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. There's one of those terms that was up there on the screen. Abraham's bosom. A synonym 
for heaven. And, uh, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments in hell. The word torment is used four times in this passage by the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the one telling this. He was in torments. And seeth, seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, or in his arms. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented. There's the second time it's used. In this flame. Wow. What a tragic story this is, at least Half of it's tragic. Half of it is glorious. The, uh, the beggar was carried by two angels into Abraham's bosom or Abraham's embrace to heaven. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray. Speak to our hearts. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Over in 2 Peter 1, in verse 11, it says this. It says, You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking about people who have been faithful to the Lord, serve the Lord. They will receive a rich welcome. That's the NIV. The King James uses the term, an abundant entry into heaven. Think about that. For those who are saved and love the Lord, serving the Lord faithfully, there'll be a we'll receive an abundant entry and a rich welcome. Came across this story back some time ago about a little boy named Grady. He's eight years old, seven years old when he got cancer, diagnosed with leukemia. And he had to miss school for a whole year. Didn't see his school, his teachers and so forth for a whole year. And so now he's eight years old and he can start going back part-time to school. His first day back, um, the principal met him at the door. And when she opened the door, he looked down the hallway and all the students were lining the hallway. And they had pretty uh, crepe paper stuff and so forth and signs and all of that. And they lined the hallway. He went down the hallway and they, they cheered. And they clapped. And they celebrated. And when he got to the end of the hallway, there was a huge sign there that said, Welcome back, Grady. And all the children clapped and laughed and the teachers wiped their tears at this great uh, celebration. When his mother picked him up that day, he said, and I'm quoting now, this is what Grady said, this was the best day ever, Mom. I had so much fun. I didn't know days could be this good. The person who recorded this article comments and says, if school children can pull off a welcome celebration like that, can you imagine what God Almighty 
and the angels can do. Can you imagine? A rich welcome and an uh, a abundant entry into heaven, celebrating. This, this past Friday at 1.47 in the morning, and uh, uh, Brother Kobe mentioned it. There was a family that many in this church knew. The Rubio family, they were in their early 40s. They had three children who attended, or is still attending, Vandalia Christian School. And there's a lot of close friends in our church to that church and to their family. They were a wonderful family. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord faithfully. There was somebody going the wrong way on Interstate 40 right near Hall River. And they hit head on. And so they have three children and those children of course are traumatized and heartbroken and words can't really describe that kind of pain, the things they're going through. I don't want to minimize their pain at all, not for a second. I can only try to imagine what they're going through. But I want us to think for a minute to the other side, because we're talking about the unseen world. Let's think about Think about the other side for a minute. Picture with me in your mind now. 1.47 in the morning. Out on 40. It's dark. These cars have crashed. Now in our text, it says that angels, plural, came and got Lazarus. So picture with me now. Above those shattered, broken cars and the bodies. I don't know about the other lady. I don't know anything about her. Picture four angels hovering above those cars. <laughs> and they reach down inside of that mass of crumpled cars and they pull two people, two souls. But our soul is who we really are. Remember, the body's just the tent we live in temporarily. See those angels reach down and pull those two souls out of the wreckage. Maybe there's one on each arm, and they say something like, Don't be afraid. We'll take you to him. And the Bible says Jesus now has ascended above the heavens. Remember, there's three heavens. He's ascended above the first two heavens. He's in the third heaven. And so picture with me, these angels take one on, one on each arm, and they take these two up through the heavens. And somewhere in there, maybe they hit something like uh, angelic warp speed or something. I don't know. But right through the heavens, right up into the very presence of Christ. And while the family is crying, and rightfully so, and sorrowing, and their hearts broken, there's a great celebration in heaven. They receive a rich welcome, an abundant entry into the kingdom, into the heavenly kingdom. Oh, heaven is a real place where real people go. <laughs> But the opposite is true as well. Hell is a real place where real people go. 
And we have that subject here in our text. Now let's pick it up a little further up in the text. Jesus is preaching here. He's preaching to the Pharisees. And he begins to tell this story in verse 19. Look at it. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple was a color that was quite expensive. Only the very, very rich could afford purple. Kings wore purple. So he was extremely wealthy and fine linen. And he fared sumptuously every day. He had anything you could think of you wanted. Anything that is your heart's desire. He had it. Not just occasionally. Every single day. He fared sumptuously every day. Verse 20 says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Wow. Now, we come to our text. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. Bosom means your chest. Abraham's right beside him or with an embrace. The idea is when you, when you hug somebody, you pull them up to your chest. That's Abraham's bosom. For the Jews, the idea of being there with Abraham, that was quite a wonderful description of heaven. And so he went to Abraham's bosom and was comforted, comforted, hugged and comforted. And then it says, and the rich man also died and was buried. It doesn't say anything about the beggar being buried. Now, maybe he was, but it was quite common in those days to take a beggar who didn't have maybe any family, or if they had family, they had no means, to throw them in the garbage heap in the valley of Hinnom, where the fire perpetually ran day and night and they would throw bodies in that fire along with all the trash from the city. We don't know, but it's possible that's what happened to him. But, but it says the rich man was, was buried. By the way, you might sometimes hear somebody say the rich man's name was Dives. <clears throat> Excuse me, Dives. Uh, the scripture doesn't say that, but the, but the Latin word for uh, rich man is dives, and that's where that comes from. But in the text, of course, it's not really calling him by name. It's just describing him as a, as a rich man. So he had a funeral. Now, no doubt he had a great funeral. I mean, it was probably a big parade, and a lot of people were there, and people made speeches, and the priest got up and talked about how great a man he was, and, and uh, no doubt great fanfare. And he had, he had five brothers, and they no doubt had, had uh, you know, opened the wheel and was all excited about what he might have left them. And so he, had, he was buried. And notice in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. While everybody was celebrating on earth at his funeral, he was already in hell, without hope and without help for eternity. 
in a flame, in torment. He was already there. Wow. Now, he wasn't there because he was rich. Not at all. But he was there because he had never trusted God alone for salvation. Now, the Jews, of course, believed that somebody's wealth was a token or a sign of their righteousness. I mean, this was infiltrated into their thinking. And they would have thought a poor man, a beggar like that, couldn't possibly be saved, couldn't possibly go to heaven. Because him being poor was a sign of God's curse on him. Now, that's the way they viewed things. Sometimes people in our day view things a little bit that way. They wouldn't put it as strongly as the Pharisees did. And so the Pharisees he's talking about, when he first starts telling this story, they're thinking the rich man is going to be the uh, hero of this story, you know. And this beggar, oh, they would have been disgusted with this beggar who couldn't even keep the dogs from licking his sores. That was disgusting to them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns it around and the rich man is lost. They would be staggered at that. How could that be? A man whom God had blessed with such riches must have been a saved man. And then the beggar, surely the beggar couldn't be saved. But he was. He wasn't saved because he was poor. He was saved because somewhere along the line in his life, he trusted God alone for salvation. And so, the rich man died and was buried. Verse 23, In hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham far off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame we'll come back to the rest of this story next week now a lot of times this is called a parable and it's certainly used as a parable to teach truth but if it is a parable it's the only parable Jesus told where he used proper names one proper name Lazarus the other proper name is Abraham. If this is only a parable, it's the only place where a proper name was used and two were used. It's almost as though Jesus was wanting them to know this is a little more than a parable. It's a story used in parable form. Now, Jesus, of course, being God, knows the beginning from the end, and he's seen everybody who's ever died, every rich man, every, every poor man. He knows all of that. He reached back, I think, in his omnipotent mind and tells a true story with a parable-type meaning. And so, not only is heaven a real place, but hell is a real place as well. It's nothing to joke about. It's nothing to laugh about. It's nothing to be lighthearted about. It's the most tragic subject 
known to mankind should be taken seriously and it should be spoke about with great care. So heaven is a real place. In this parable, it's been said many times, we see two men, two lives, two deaths, two destinies, two eternities. There's no other place in Scripture, really, where you see so clearly a contrast between the lost and the saved, heaven and hell, as you do in this great passage. C.S. Lewis tells of a time when someone told him about a gravestone inscription on an atheist tomb. Apparently the atheist thought it would be catchy and funny, so he had it put on his grave marker. And it read like this, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up, and no place to go. C.S. Lewis said, C.S. Lewis quietly replied, I bet he wishes that were so. He did have a place to go. Heaven is a real place and hell is a real place as well. Now, there are different degrees of punishment in hell and in judgment. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 10. Verily I say unto you, it will be more tolerable in the land for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city, that city that rejects the gospel. Now, can a whole city be saved? Of course not. It's the people of the city. The people of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah will will have it be more tolerable for them in judgment than it was for the people in Jesus' day who rejected the Son of God who had come in the flesh. Jesus says a similar thing in Matthew 11, the next chapter. He says, But I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you, the people he's talking to. This is repeated. This is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, repeated in three of the Gospels, so that when you put it all together six times, this phrasing of more tolerable in the day of judgment is used. The ESV and the NIV use the word bearable. It will be more bearable for some than for others. Strong's Greek dictionary uses the term tolerable, but also the term endurable. For some, hell will be more endurable, more tolerable, more bearable. So there'll be degrees of punishment. It, it just makes sense. Think about you have an unbeliever who is a serial killer. You have one who is a child molester. Surely that person should be punished more 
than someone who is an unbeliever and went to hell because they were an unbeliever, but their sins were things like lying and deception and immoral thoughts and things like that. Surely there should be a difference. Well, there will be. And as time permits, I'll let you see that again at the close. So there are varying degrees in hell. Now, I want us to think about the words used here, the Greek word used here. If you look back at your screen for a moment, there are two Greek words translated hell in the King James Version. These are the two words. One is Gehenna, and the other is Hades. Now, some of you have a newer translation. So when I read to you the text a few moments ago, when I read the word hell... In your Bible, it said Hades. Now, that's not a bad thing. I'm going to explain it to you a little more. I'm just pointing it out at this point. Now, so there are two words translated hell in the King James. Uh, and it's done so 23 times, the two words together. So here's the first word, Gehenna. In the English, it's it's used in the King James, and it's translated hell nine times and hell fire three times. So 12 times this word is used in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it's translated hell or hell fire. Strong's Greek Dictionary says it is used of the name of the place or state of everlasting punishment, hell. Zodiates says this about it. In the New Testament, Gehenna is presented always as the final place of punishment into which the wicked are cast after the last judgment. Again, that's from Zodiates' Greek dictionary. Gehenna, the, the New... Excuse me. The King James and all reliable translations, now this is important, translates Gehenna as hell. That is, all reliable translations. Some cults, like the, like the um, Jehovah's Witnesses, have their own translation. It's called the New World Translation. You don't want that one. But all reliable translations translate this word Gehenna as, as hell. Now let's go to that next word, Hades. Hades, in our English Bible, or in the King James, is translated hell ten times and the grave one time. So eleven times. The first word was used twelve times. Uh, Hades was used eleven times. Now, they are very similar, but in our definitions, notice the differences. Strong's says that properly the word itself means unseen. Unseen. By the way, that's where I got the title for this series from, from the word Hades. But I wanted to talk about heaven and hell, but then I started thinking about everything that's unseen, and the, my research just got bigger and bigger. So we started with God, and now we've worked our way down to Hades where I got the title. And it's the place or state of departed souls of the lost. 
Now, Zodiates says it like this. It is the intermediate state of the lost between death and the ultimate hell, which is Gehenna. Now, this last part's important. It'll kind of help you if you've got a newer translation in your hand. The King James translates Gehenna and Hades as hell. The New King James, and most all new translations, translates Gehenna as hell and Hades as Hades. Actually, in that case, it's a transliteration. So if you have a Bible that has the word Hades in it, in the verses I read a few moments ago, that's not bad. Matter of fact, it is kind of helpful. Now, I'm going to ask you something. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if, if, if you... And I, I preach from the King James, but I read all the translations and think they're all helpful. That is, all the reliable ones. And, uh, but if you've got a Bible in your hand today, that may be a New King James or e, uh, uh, ESV. And if you've got one of, the, one of those, and when we read a moment ago and I read hell, your Bible said Hades. Would you just raise your hand? Let me see how many of you. Yeah, let's see. They're holding my ears. People on, in every grouping there. All right, thank you. Now, that's, you know now why they translate it. They just translated it differently. They're not exactly synonyms, but they're very much alike. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the idea of hell by talking about Hades. Hades is just as bad as hell. This man in our text went to Hades. He used the word tormented four times. He used the word flame. He wanted some kind of relief if it was only one drop of water on his tongue. Where was he? He was in Hades. Hades is a temporary holding place for the lost souls. Hell is the eternal holding place for lost souls. Let me put it in kind of a visual here for you. Let's start with Hades. After Hades, people go to Hades. After Hades comes the great white throne. You know, if you go to... If you get locked up for committing a crime, first you go to jail, but you're awaiting your day in court. So first people go to Hades, and they're awaiting their day in court. That's the great white throne. And then they're put into hell. So Hades is like a divine jail. Think of it like this. Everybody in Hades is going to end up in hell. But they're going to get their day in court as well. Because the white throne judgment is the divine courtroom. And once the judgment then takes place, what happens to somebody who's in jail? They've been found guilty. Where do they go? They go to prison. So hell is the divine prison that lasts for all eternity. Now I want us to end our study over in the book of Revelation. Turn, turn to Revelation chapter 19 for a moment. I've got to move through this quickly. Chapter 19 talks about the Lord Jesus coming again in His great coming on a white horse. And He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? 
And when he comes, look at verse 20 of chapter 19. And the beast was taking, taken, and with him the false prophet. Now the beast remembers the Antichrist, and the false prophet is the religious leader for the one world uh, church. The beast, the one world government. And they wrought miracles before him with with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. This was all taking place during the tribulation. Them that <clears throat> worshipped his image. These both were cast into the lake of fire which burneth with brimstone. Now this hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Right now, if you, if you look at the design, right now hell is empty. The judgment hadn't taken place yet. All of the departed souls of the lost are in Hades. But again, that's not to diminish the suffering of hell because Hades is very much like hell with torment and suffering. So these are going to be the first two. These are real people, by the way. They've been energized by Satan during the, uh, during the <coughs> tribulation period. Excuse me. But they're real people. And now they're cast into the lake of fire. Which is a synonym for hell. The word Gehenna. That's translated hell. And so uh, they're the first ones there. Now if you go to chapter 20 and verse 10. A thousand years have passed. In this context it tells us. The thousand years of the millennial kingdom is up. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire with brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophet are. They, they were cast in there a thousand years prior. They're still there. They, did, they were not consumed by the fire. They're still there a thousand years later. <clears throat> And look what it says. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever. No escape. No change. No possibility of repentance and salvation or anything like that. Once you go to Hades, you'll be there forever and ever. Now, let's... We, we, we're thinking about that chart. Look, look at verse 11 now. We kind of see how that chart works. People who are in Hades now are going to stand before the great white throne. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them, no place for them to hide from his presence. We know this is Jesus. Because Jesus said the Father had committed all judgment unto him. This is Jesus sitting on the throne as the judge of the universe. And I saw, verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, everybody here is going, is going to end up in hell. So why keeping a record of their sins and their works, their actions and so forth? Because there are varying degrees of punishment in hell. So they're being judged according to their works. 
Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. By the way, the word hell there is Hades. Verse 13, Which were in, the, which were in them, and they judged every man according to their works. Verse 14, And death and hell. The word death is the idea of the grave. So these are bodies, physical bodies. This is the second resurrection. And hell is Hades. Were cast into the lake of fire. So Hades now is emptied out into hell. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Wow. Go back to your screen for a moment. First Timothy 2 says, God our Savior, who will have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Notice this phrase right here. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not willing that any should perish. Isaiah says God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. People say, why would a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't send people to hell. He's made every way possible for everybody to go to heaven. And He wants everybody to go to heaven. This, this phrase... Who will have all men? Some, translate, some translations translates it, God wants all men to be saved. Others, God desires all men to be saved. By the way, it also says he paid a ransom for all. This one, this one passage here takes away two points of Calvinism. He desires for everyone to be saved, and he died for all of mankind and paid the price for all men. All is used here twice. All, all means all. And that's all it means. God wants everyone to be saved, including you. There's a lot of tragedies in the world. War, violence, murder but there's no tragedy that even comes close to the tragedy of somebody dying without Christ and going to a place of no hope and no help for all eternity God doesn't want any and you go there even though God doesn't want you to go there God wants us to be saved and there's only one way there's only one mediator between God and man the Lord Jesus he's the only one that can take the hand of God the Father and the hand of an old wretched sinner like me and forgive my sin and take those hands and put them together and reconcile us be sure be sure that you know you're saved and on your way to heaven. Bow with me, please.
Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Maybe you're online listening to this. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer, and if you really mean it, you can receive Christ. The promise is, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not maybe, not perhaps. That's a promise. So with your heads bowed right now, if you need to call on Christ to be your Savior, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Just repeat this after me in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. You don't want to bother your neighbor. Say, Dear Lord Jesus. That's right. He's listening. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And right now, I call on you to come into my life, forgive my sin, and give me a home in heaven. I call on you to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you now for forgiving my sins like you promised, and that I am saved. Help me to love you and live for you now for the rest of my days. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, I want to pray for you as we close. Would you slip your hand up right now? If you prayed that prayer with me and really meant it, no one's going to come to you. Would you hold your hand up around the room? Anyone? Maybe online. You call the church. Leave a message. We'll get in contact with you. There are ways to contact us online as well. You know those ways. Father, thank you that everybody here says they have called on you, Lord Jesus, as Savior. We give you praise for that. Hell is a real place, but we're so grateful that heaven is a real place, and it's your desire that we all go there. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Stand with me, please. Let's go ahead and sing a verse or two of this.